This is the revealed word of God in Matthew seven twenty four through 29, and Jesus is teaching here. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like the foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. This is the revealed word of God. The image that Jesus uses of um, building reminds me of a lot of things. It brings back a lot of memories. As a matter of fact, the students, as you just heard, are going to be involved uh, somewhere along the way in this mission trip in a building project. I remember as a child, um, about seventh grade, um, my father uh, decided it was time for us to build a house. Uh, that was in South Florida. And building a house in South Florida has its own challenges. And um, one of the challenges is digging a footer because the place where we were to build our house was basically sugar sand. Um, and when you would dig a hole for a footer, it just would collapse over and over again. So the width of the trench for the footer had to be exceedingly wide so that you could finally set those plywood pieces in there called forms and and lay a solid foundation we started with footers and then after we had footers we put rebar across the bottom of that flat area between the footers and poured and and the whole thing was a gigantic rock a foundation and it was solid even on that really shifty sand i remember uh, working on a project in africa in which we built a place for people who had physical needs. It was a medical clinic, and we, again, started with a foundation to make sure that it was solid and also that everything that went up on the foundation was square. And the building materials and building methods that we used were significantly different than what I remembered when I was in the seventh grade with my father. There was no cement truck that rolled in there and poured that foundation in a heartbeat. I remember also laying a foundation in South America, uh, in Bolivia, where we were planning to build something with one of our missionaries. And again, the foundation was critical to the building. And then I remember when I read this of stories I'd heard over the years, uh, two of them rather recently, where a foundation was not deemed to be that critical in the construction of the building, and you saw the results. Uh, around 2009 in Shanghai, China, a building 13 stories tall just literally 
fell down. It didn't fall down in an earthquake. It didn't fall down necessarily because of weather, although a lot of rain had something to do with it. It fell down because the construction workers had not prepared the foundation adequately. If you saw the picture, and you can find it on the internet, it looks like a building that was made of Legos when it falls down. It was in perfect form, just straight down on the ground. And you could see the pylons and and the foundation sticking out of the bottom of it. Fortunately, no one was yet in the building. They were still under construction, but they'd done a terribly poor job of constructing a foundation. In about 2012, in Accra, the capital city of Ghana, a more unfortunate foundation problem occurred when a shopping mall collapsed because of a poor constructed, poorly constructed foundation, and it killed a large number of people. Uh, many others were rescued but injured for life. Foundations are absolutely critical in the building process, and you don't have to be a builder to understand it. You can just know the image. You can see it on TV. You can even think about it and realize its importance. So Jesus borrows on an image that is probably quite easily accessible to people. It's an image that they would have known about. In particular, the image, as he speaks about it, relates to the particular area of Palestine there where people would construct homes on occasion, and they would construct them literally on a sand bed. Now, it appeared that the sand bed was almost like rock. It was hard as rock, or so it appeared, until the rains came sweeping through at a particular time of the year, and the gullies that would wash out the sections where these small houses would be erected would create an insubstantial home, and frequently they would just collapse. And Jesus says, if you're a wise builder, you're not going to build on that sand that appears to be solid, but you know full well in any given year, the rain may erode it. You won't do that, says Jesus. Furthermore, Jesus was not just borrowing on an image that they probably were aware of, but surely he was borrowing on an image that he himself was especially aware of, the importance of a foundation. Remember where he grew up, a carpenter shop. Carpenters, more than any other, know the importance of foundations. So Jesus says, your life needs to be built on a foundation. You get this image, my friends. You understand it. That's why I use it. But what life? What is the foundation? We could take a story like this and spin all kinds of analogies with it, right? We could talk about different things And all of them could be very important and legitimate, but let's remember something. If you haven't already noticed, contextually, where these verses are. They're the last paragraph, so to speak, of the Sermon on the Mount. It's not just a random story out there to capture people's imagination and have you speculate about what a good foundation is. Jesus, in effect, is saying this. For the last however many hours, we don't know. For the last maybe however many months, we don't know exactly how the Sermon on the Mount was put together. Jesus says, I've been teaching you. 
I've been giving you some principles. And now I want to remind you how incredibly important what I said is to your life. In other words, my friends, says Jesus, if you want to live a good life, you better construct a solid foundation. And what is the solid foundation? It's the teachings you've just heard. You don't need to speculate about this. You don't need to use the analogy and create your own kind of foundation. Just think about what I've said. That's the foundation. So what had he just said? Well, you'll remember the beginning of the Beatitudes. Matthew chapter 5. I read it quickly. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Blessed are you when you're persecuted because of righteousness' sake, for yours or theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The good life is the blessed life. And the blessed life, it comes from a particular perspective. That's how the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, begins. Jesus, in effect, says, I want you to have this perspective on life. And let me give you an overview of what this perspective on life looks like. It looks like being meek and merciful. It looks like hungering and thirsting like a ravaged man after righteousness. It looks like being a peacemaker. It looks like seeking God with your whole heart. And it looks like a person doing all those things for all the right reasons and then being persecuted. That's what it looks like. Let me put it another way. The Sermon on the Mount is the outline for everything that Jesus says from here on out. I don't know if you've ever thought of the Sermon on the Mount that way. But I would suggest that you try to see it that way. Take a look at the teachings of Jesus in Matthew 5 and 7 where he concludes right here about this builder who's wise and foolish, and see if it's not true that the essence, the outline of what Jesus says for the rest of his ministry is encapsulated right here. Oh, it's expanded on over and over again. But the essence of it seems to be here. Maybe that's why Matthew put it at the beginning of his gospel. Jesus basically is saying, if you want a foundation, let's not think about pouring a slab, shall we? That's the way we do it now. If you want a foundation, there are certain foundation stones that will give you the good life. And one of them is the foundation stone of perspective. If you want a good life, says Jesus, if you want to inherit the kingdom of God, you're going to have a different perspective than everyone around you. You're going to be absolutely countercultural. You're going to be overwhelmingly eternal. 
You're going to look at all of reality, material reality, and see something behind it that others don't see. And you're going to live your life based on invisible, eternal principles in a material world. And that's just not the way everybody lives, says Jesus. So the first foundation stone, it's perspective. An eternal perspective on a material world. Second foundation stone. It's vocation. Jesus says, I want you to understand that your eternal perspective on this material world is more than just a point of view. As a matter of fact, your eternal perspective on this material world makes you living vessels of praise that glorify God. It makes you a lighthouse, a city set on a hill. It makes you salt and light. So you embrace this eternal perspective on this material reality that I've taught you. You've got to remember that that embracing makes you salt and light in the world. Salt brings purity where there's disease. Salt brings flavor where there's lifelessness. And salt, well, it's sometimes just an irritant, isn't it? Your vocation is to be salt and light, to be the flavor of the world. To be the antiseptic to a decaying world. And really, quite frankly, sometimes just to be an irritant to the culture. Your vocation is to be salt and light. And of course, light is accepted by everybody, generically speaking. But Jesus and his other teaching contrasts light and darkness. It basically says the gospel shines light into darkness. And that's where light needs to go, into darkness, to illuminate darkness. But when that happens, routinely people who are in the dark are angered by the light. So, it's in the context of persecution, I think, that Jesus says, you're salt and light. Go figure. It's going to be a problem sometimes. You're salt and light. It's going to rancor other people sometimes. But your vocation is to be salt and light. And when you're salt and light, what will happen is people will look past you and they'll glorify God in heaven. Before it's all over, your vocation has nothing to do with you. And has everything to do with God. So a foundation stone is an eternal perspective in a material world and it's a vocation. You're salt and light. A third foundation stone and this is a summary is is just the word passion jesus says i'll teach you about all kinds of things related to the law and in the sermon on the mount he takes three of them in this section and he says what about adultery what about murder what about divorce and let me summarize it this way jesus says it's not what you think sure you shouldn't commit adultery yeah you shouldn't murder yeah don't divorce But that's not the main issue here. You see, there's something behind those laws, and they represent the rest of the law. And basically, what's behind those laws? You might say, now, Bob, you're just getting reductionistic and silly. No, really, it's true. What's behind the laws? 
to love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your mind and to love your neighbor as yourself. The reality is that the law is pointing you to a relationship with God. It's asking you to follow God passionately and not like the Pharisees to get bogged down by the details. As a matter of fact, the law speaks to the human condition called the heart. And if you think you've got it right because you haven't cheated on your wife, let me tell you something. There's something behind that law. It's called lust. Have any of you been guiltless there? What I want you to do is not to follow the law. I want you to follow the heart of the law. I want you to give yourself unconditionally and wholly to me. And then the details? Well, they're not as important as, as once you thought they were. You know, when Jesus speaks about the law and the prophets and then speaks about the love of God and the passion that we ought to have for Him, basically Jesus is saying, here's the law, I've got another way. It doesn't overturn the law and the prophets, but I've got another way for you. And here's what I want to tell you. My way is more demanding and easier at the same time. It's more demanding because you realize when you look into the heart of the law that you are an adulterer. Look into the heart of the law and you realize you are a murderer. Nobody's pointed it out yet to you, have they? Says Jesus. But let me. You have hatred in your heart. Thus murder. You see, the law is the searchlight on the, on the soul that makes it more difficult to live up to. So it is harder Jesus' way because the law becomes even more all-encompassing. But at the same time, says Jesus, it's easier. Why? Because my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. Your yoke is legalism. And it's hard. The reality is the law's even harsher. But my burden, it's light. Why is it light? How can it be light? How can it be easy with all these things I've got to follow? I'll tell you how. I've been in a marriage for more than 30 years. And it's been delightful and hard and easy. Why? The reason it's been hard is because we're human and our sin is always in the midst of it. The reason it's easy is because in spite of our humanness and in spite of laws that we can construct for one another, we love one another enough to pursue each other and not the rules. If you ask my wife, why she was faithful to me, I guarantee you the first thing out of her mouth would not be because it's right to be. You know what? That's true. But I'll tell you why she's faithful to me. Because she loves me. Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden's light. 
I want you to follow me with passion. The fourth foundation stone in these teachings called the Sermon on the Mount, I just call compassion. Jesus says compassion, what is it? It's love of humanity. All of them. Everybody. Even your enemies. I say to you, here's what you're supposed to do if you want to live in the kingdom of God. You're not supposed to repay evil with evil. Stop the vicious cycle of evil on evil. Stop the retaliation of evil against evil. Don't do it anymore. Break the vicious cycle. As a matter of fact, you ought to love your enemies. Jesus puts it this way. You don't get any credit for loving your friends. You don't get any credit for loving your family. You're supposed to do that. Why wouldn't you? Here's where the credit comes, says Jesus. You get credit for loving your enemies because it's the hardest thing in the world to do. Let me put it in another way. Jesus is basically saying, I want you to love your enemies. I want you to give to the needy. I want you to make it all about the other and all about me and not about you. That's a foundation stone for the good life, says Jesus. And I'm here to show you. I'm going to live that selfless kind of love in front of you. And I'm going to give my life up as a ransom for many. Foundation stone, compassion. Love for everyone. A foundation stone, says Jesus, is prayer. Make it the center of your life. Remember that you have a holy, this is where the Lord's Prayer comes in, in the Sermon on the Mount. Remember you have a holy heavenly Father who is always there, always present. You have a holy heavenly Father who invites you into His kingdom. So if He invites you into His kingdom, start out this way and pray that His kingdom will come and His will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That means in your heart and outside your heart. It means everywhere. Make prayer the center of your life. Pray continually that His kingdom will come. Be honest about your needs. Tell me what they are. Your daily needs matter. Forgive others in your prayer. And pray that the Spirit won't allow you to be led into a temptation by Satan that sends you astray or destroys your life. And remember that in the end, all glory belongs to God. A foundation stone is to make prayer the centerpiece of your life. Another foundation stone, your perspective on wealth. Wealth, it all belongs to God, says Jesus. Wealth, everything comes from God, so don't be selfish with what you've been given. Wealth, be careful that it doesn't become your master. You think you control your money? Think again. It might control you. Take a spiritual inventory, says Jesus, about wealth. And then after you do, use this as your mantra. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all the things that are necessary will be added to you. Anything you have, use as as an instrument of grace and peace in the hands of God.
All the money you have, it's God's money for God's purposes. Another foundation stone is, it seems kind of funny, foundation stone for life, but it's about life. Life, Jesus says. Don't worry about it. You want a foundation stone for the good life? Stop worrying about life. You want a foundation stone for the way things ought to be? Stop being so concerned about everything. He didn't say don't plan. On another occasion, he talked about a builder who went out and planned carefully. And in this analogy, he's talking about a builder who plans well. He just says, if you want to live with an eternal perspective in a material world, you can't be thinking about the material reality that's always in front of you, namely tomorrow. Stop it already. Do your planning and turn tomorrow over to God. Tomorrow's got enough worries of its own. Today's got enough to consume you. Stop it already. Give your worry over to God. Don't worry about your needs. Because God knows them before you even ask. Or can I quote John Wesley in a sort of a summary way? Because I think Jesus would have loved John Wesley's statement about wealth. Wesley said on one occasion, earn all you can. Save all you can. And give all you can. What a way to approach wealth. I'm going to do my best with the resources that God has given me. I'm going to earn what I can in this world. I'm going to save and be a good steward. And then I'm going to give everything away I can give away. Because it's all God's anyway. And I can bless His world with it. Yeah, that would be a good foundation stone for life, wouldn't it? Another foundation stone for life relates to judging. Jesus says... Be careful, it bites. Yeah? Judging does. Because if you judge, you're going to be judged. And the same measure you distribute judgment, the same measure it's going to be distributed to you and maybe worse. Of course, Jesus doesn't mean you don't make judgment calls. You have to make judgment calls in order to make moral decisions. He's saying don't be judgmental. Remember that analogy of the big, huge plank in your eye and you're trying to pick the speck out of your brother's eye? Don't live like that, critically, judging others. That's not the way to live. Stop judging and leave the final judgment to God. That's a foundation stone for the good life. The final foundation stone for the good life. And I'm sure the list could have been larger and better. But it's the list I came up with, summarizing the Sermon on the Mount. The final foundation stone relates to help. To help. You need it. Remember down near the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. You ask, you seek. Because you need it. You can't get along on your own. And this asking and seeking and finding, it's not about material stuff. Remember, we're talking about an eternal perspective. So when you hear that phrase again, as you've heard it all your life, ask and seek and find, remember he's talking about asking and seeking and finding for the wisdom that's eternal wisdom to live in a material world. 
And then you'll inherit the good life. So when you're stumbling over your own sin, when you're stumbling over your own wealth because it seems like it's mastering you, when you're stumbling over your inability to forgive others, when you're stumbling over your selfishness and you don't want to give it away, ask, seek, you're going to find. The gracious Heavenly Father who wants to give you the good life will reorient your heart and mind if you just ask and seek You'll find it. The eternal perspective that gives you the good life is near at hand. Just ask for it. God will give it to you. That's uh, quite a list, isn't it? For the good life. Oh, by the way, most people would never think of the good life like that. Back to counterculture. That wouldn't be the list that would be drawn up for a person in a five, Fortune 500 magazine. Never. But it's the good life, says Jesus. What's the conclusion of the matter? Well, to put one summary point on it, it would be this. Jesus' teachings can't just be thought about or heard. The power of Jesus' teachings are in the living. Listen to the Sermon on the Mount. It's not about packing knowledge into your head. It's about living. Put it another way, you can't think or analyze your way into this kingdom. It won't work. I'll put it another way, and this is going to sound just a little bit over the top, but hang with me. You can't believe your way into this kingdom either. Of course you have to believe it. Of course you have to have faith. Of course that's the key ingredient in salvation. I'm not talking about that. I'm saying you cannot analyze your way into the kingdom because it requires action, and you cannot intellectually believe your way into the kingdom because it requires your heart. The kind of believing that Jesus is calling for, the kind of acceptance that Jesus is calling for is a whole life acceptance, a complete belief. You can't just say, what a great story. I've got that one. I believe it. That seals it. I'm done. That's not entering the kingdom life that Jesus is talking about. You know what you have to do daily? If you want to enter into this kingdom and find the good life, you've got to believe it when it seems foolish. Over and over again. And my friends, you know it often does. There are so many times when turning the other cheek seems like nonsense. There's so many times when giving of yourself unconditionally, whether your resources or your time, seems like craziness. There's so many times that the teachings of Jesus are going to seem like foolishness. How do you live in the kingdom? You believe it even when it seems foolish. 
That's how you live in the kingdom. It's called faith. Deep faith. You believe it even when it seems foolish. How do you live in the kingdom? You also live it out. You don't just embrace it as an empty idea. It's got to happen on Monday. It can't just be an idea on Sunday. You've got to believe it when it seems foolish. And you've got to live it in order to experience the kingdom of God. And if you believe it, even when it seems foolish, and when you live it, even on the days you don't want to, then and only then will your life and your mind be transformed by the kingdom of God. That's the foundation Jesus was talking about. That's what he meant when he said, build your house, insert your life on a solid foundation. The things I've told you. Start with those foundation stones. They provide an eternal perspective in a material world. And you'll have the good life. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for even letting us in on this secret. The secret of the kingdom of heaven. You could have just let us bump along and try to find it on our own, but you revealed it. Which is what you do all the time in Scripture. You pull back the curtain and give us an eternal perspective on life. And and we thank you for this Sermon on the Mount and this analogy that Jesus uses at the very end that our life should consist of the foundation of your teachings. It's not going to be easy, Lord. We admit that because we know we've tried and we've failed. It's going to be a lifelong experience. It doesn't happen overnight. It's going to take faith, a deep kind of faith, not some sort of easy believe kind of faith, a deep kind of faith that believes even in the midst of the doubt. And it's going to take an exercise of our will, Lord, to actually live it when it seems counterintuitive and countercultural and, quite frankly, counter-self. So help us, Lord, to believe it deeply, to live it fully, and to experience the kingdom of God right here, right now. And we'll thank you for that. In the name of Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen.